Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that turns opinion into fact. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We'll cover some real news. And our main review is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring Nicolas Cage as Nick Cage. Looking forward to dissecting that. But before we do, James, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm very good. It's two weeks now in between when we speak to one another and I still find that our lives, we have very little to discuss because they're that boring. Yeah. Never mind. Speaking of boring, I want your opinion on something, right? Do you ever find yourself in the situation where you have purchased food, you've refrigerated it, but then you forget the best before day and then you have to throw it away? All the time. Yeah. I feel ashamed for it as well. Usually we buy a large, well, what has happened more recently is we buy a large tub of Tesco Greek yogurt. And I think we'll get through that because love shoveling that into our mouths. But we just forget about it and then we open it and it's gone, it's gone moldy inside. Or a bag of carrots in the back of the fridge that's just turned into liquid. So yes, it does happen. Good, right. So you identify it as a problem. Do you see the benefit of an app where you input all your food with its best before date and then daily view it and say, right, well, this is what we've got to eat today? Do you you think that is a good idea for an app? Yes. Right, okay, well. I'll give you $5 million to develop it. Well, turns out somebody else has already developed it. Right, okay. But... So I downloaded this app. It's called Best Before. We're not promoting it. Uh, Well, I am, I suppose, by proxy. But I downloaded it. I started using it. And it's a bit, it's rough around the edges. So I thought maybe there's a better app for this. So I Googled it and hit a Reddit forum where like half the comments are, can I just point out, isn't this just really like counterintuitive? Why wouldn't you just check in your fridge? And then the the comments kind of stop with recommendations because I don't think there were any apps for this at the time. And I just thought, is is it not that much of a problem? Is it me that's the problem? Because they are just saying, just check your fridge for Christ's sake, what's wrong with you? Yeah. But your things fridge, are layered your in fridge a fridge. is the app, isn't it? Because, you, yeah, open the fridge and look yeah. in there. I think it is a problem because isn't throwing away waste food a significant problem worldwide anyway on uneaten food? I'm, I'm pretty sure it is an actual problem. Oh, definitely. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I just needed to soundboard with yeah. you and just make sure that I wasn't an idiot and that there is a good use for this. And like you said, I'm trying to do the right thing. That's why I've gone down this route. So the app is best before available on iOS and Play Store. Okay. <laughs> Saw a dead guy in an antique hall as well, but we'll leave that for another week. What have you been watching this week? I've just had another, sorry, just not to dwell on food for too long. <laughs> what if, you know how you have smart fridges that have screens on them? Do they not have a function where you can input the contents of the fridge and the best before date on the fridge? If they don't, they really should. But I'm, I'm I'm merely a pauper, James. I can't afford that kind of fridge. Just your yeah, standard one. Yeah. Curry's basics. Smeg, if you're listening, there you go. There's an idea for you. Yeah. You scan you would scan it. You would there'd be, there'd be a scanner on the fridge, and then you would you'd scan the item 
when before you put it in the fridge and then that would load its best before bit into the into the smart fridge. Oh, we really have gone down a rabbit hole here. But this is a preamble for a new podcast that me and James are starting in the next few weeks around best eating practices and storage of foods. So no title as of yet. In the fridge. (laughs) That works. Right. I fear that we're never going to dig ourselves out of this hole. Well, speaking of uh, cold environments, I watched The Northman which is the new Robert Eggers film. I haven't seen his other two films, which are The Witch and The Lighthouse, but I will after this, and then I'll claim that I was a fan <laughs> all along. I put this in one of my most anticipated films in the year, The Northman, the epic historical film that stars Stel- Alexander, not Stella, Alexander Skarsgård. I've also learned that Alexander Skarsgård is the producer on it, and he's always wanted to make a Viking film. So he's just gone, Robert Eggers, let's make a film where I can be really, I can be very topless and extremely attractive for most of the film. And it's a revenge epic based on the legend of Amleth, which was also the inspiration for Hamlet. So the pedigree is there. I was personally hyped for it. So maybe for that reason, it didn't quite live up to my expectations. I wanted it, I was prepared for it to be one of the best films of the year before I'd even seen it. However, I don't actually have anything bad to say about it. It's a fairly straightforward revenge plot, but there's enough weird imagery and off-the-wall scenes like zombie fights or there's always some sort of ritual happening. It, there's, more, there's probably more scenes of people performing rituals than there are action scenes. What surprised me about it, though, I, I'm don't think this is a spoiler, but in the, the way that it's described or the way it's marketed, you'd think that it's more like a gladiator-style film where he goes through lots of different locations and does lots of things, and that the, the the marketing imagery of Alexander Skarsgård, like topless with long hair, armed, you think it's just going to be him rampaging around for the whole film, but it's not. After like the maybe the first forty minutes. He goes to a farm and the rest of the film is on this farm. And there's still interesting stuff that happens there. And there's loads of like gory things. And there's all this folklore, mythical imagery. But it's not this gladiator Lord of the Rings style adventure where he's trekking across the Nordic lands constantly. It's fairly static geographically, but it's still highly, highly engaging. I definitely recommend it. I would recommend it for sure. It just didn't live up to my personal hype level. Too lofty, your expectations, perhaps. Yes, yes. Nicole Kidman apparently seems to be having a lot of fun in this film. Is she good? She is good, yes, she is good. She starts off as the, the, the victim mother, but then there's much more to see from her and is very good, yeah, a lot of fun. The main, the main villain, though... I actually forgot what he looked like while he was off screen. And then when he's seen again, I was like, is that him? Is that like the main villain of this whole thing? Because he just seems a bit bland and it's like he has a very generic face that you can't tell the difference between him and his henchman. Maybe that's intentional. I don't know. Um, but it was good. And Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy is also good in it as well. She's like a half like mystical witch type person so she she goes between just acting normal but also like casting spells 
mm. doing enchantments and things. So, yeah, good, gritty action and settings, but also nice mystical, mythical things going on as well. The Green Knight. Do you remember The Green Knight? I do indeed, yeah. Did you recommend it in the end? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, because I hated The Green Knight. Oh, uh, you did, you, didn't you? you didn't. Yeah. But this is actually, there are parts of it that are similar to The Green Knight where there's random appearances of mystical people. And you think this is probably a reference to something. I don't know what it is a reference to, but I'm just going to have to go with it. Where in, in The Green Knight, where it was so obscure and so out of context and random, I just didn't like it. In The Northman, it, all these like, myth, folklore appearances of things all tie into the story very well. And it sticks to its themes. It commits to the the ideas and it's got a, a fantastic ending the northman aka the green knight done right yep well given the global reach of this podcast hopefully that inspires more people to set foot inside the cinema because it's absolutely bombed yep. at the box bombed office yep. uh, robert eggers more used to a, a shoestring budget as an independent filmmaker but he was given Dollar dollar bill, y'all. I think this was about 70 to 90 million dollar budget, I believe. Yes, yes, which it ain't gonna make back, but hopefully, we've inspired people to uh help with that. What else have you been watching? Staying in the feature length mode, Bubble on Netflix. No, not the Bubble, just Bubble, which is an anime, a Japanese animation on Netflix. Bubble. Babaru. It's is it called Bubble or Babaru? Bubble. Is Babaru the... Japanese. Yeah. Um, yeah, Babaru. It's a post-apocalyptic animated film, and it's notable for having the same director as Attack on Titan, which is one of the most popular anime series of recent years. And mm, it's a. I liked it. That... Uh, Gave a sound like I'd not, I don't like it, but it's difficult to explain. So the world is overcome by these bubbles that descend on the world. And this is set in Tokyo, where there's, there's a giant bubble around Tokyo. But it's not a fossil that you can't walk through. People can walk in and out of it. So it's there's a bubble over Tokyo. Tokyo's half submerged. All the buildings are all half collapsing, and there's no real society. So this bubbled Tokyo becomes the site for disenchanted youths to come in and basically build an entire society around competitive parkour that takes advantage of the gravitational distortions created by the bubble. So it's that extreme floaty parkour where they can jump around matrix style and do really cool uh, chase scenes, like five on five chase scenes to reach a goal. So that happens. And into that parkour tournament culture, you get the introduction of, a young girl wearing a, a sailor outfit, of course, who is sort of born of these bubbles and what exactly the kind of creature she is is unclear, but she develops a relationship with the main character while everyone's trying to uncover the mystery of these bubbles. Where did they come from? What's the end game, if any? And I enjoyed it very much. I watched it because it, it was recommended to me by Netflix via the algorithm, but it seemed like it was getting a bit of attention as a fairly decent anime. So if you like your animation and you have a Netflix subscription, I would recommend it because 
it's a surprisingly good story. It's apocalyptic, but it's very brightly coloured. There's some nice action scenes. The music is memorable. And the animation, the hand-drawn animation is beautiful. It's actually beautiful. There's some close-ups of characters' faces where they've really made an extra effort to make them look good. And my wife was in tears for a few minutes at the end of it, which doesn't which happen very often. So Because she's had to sit through it. She had to sit through it, but also she... I said, let's watch this without any consultation. I said, we're watching this. But then by the end, she was like, the theme was so, so moving. Loved it. Plot-wise, doesn't seem anywhere near as niche as uh, an anime about bathing innovations. So there you go. Bit more mainstream this week. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Have you watched anything else? I have, of course, watched Selling Sunset Season 5. Don't want to get into it too much. But the the, the cycle of, of hatred is wearing a bit thin now, where they all hate Christine. They're bringing someone new to be friends with Christine. They have a fight with Christine. Christine lies about everything, and then it ends. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's a, there is a significant storyline of Chrishell, who's like the main character. She's dating the boss. That's something that happens. They've broke it, up it, now. Learn that courtesy of the Daily Mail. Yeah, yeah. So I knew that from the start as well. Spoiler. But it's still it's still the best switch off your brain, guilty pleasure entertainment that you could watch. However, sorry, it's it's the colours on it, it's so oversaturated that when I go back to my PlayStation main menu screen, that main menu, it looks desaturated because my eyes have adjusted. <laughs> to the extreme colour of Selling Sunset, when I just jump straight back to the menu, I think, have I changed my TV settings because the colours are really dull? But it's because my oh, eyes the people are, trying are to... severely tanned. Yeah, that my eyes are trying to resist everyone wearing neon pink. Uh, lesson learned. Yeah. Daniel, what have you been watching? Nothing but doom and gloom. First off, The Staircase. So this is a new HBO series that's based on the true crime story of Michael Peterson and the death of his wife, Kathleen Peterson. It shares the same name as the documentary, which also focused on this case from the early 2000s. And it's named The Staircase because one fateful night in 2000 and odd, or even actually, I think it was 2002, Michael Peterson phoned 911 and he'd found his wife dead at the bottom of the staircase in their family home. And rather than it being declared an accident, the police are instantly suspicious because there's blood everywhere. It looks like an absolute bloodbath um, and that somebody has been battered to death. And if you see the crime scene photos or, or even this series, which depicts it quite well, you can see why it just does not look like somebody has fallen down the stairs. And in the first episode, we get this, quite impressive one-shot take of one of the family's sons arriving home after a party. He goes into the house. Everything's in disarray. There's police everywhere. His stepmom's at the bottom of the staircase, dead. His dad's shocked and... Ah! Uh, it's all a bit crazy, but it's all done in one take, as I say, and that, that was quite good. Um, Colin Firth plays Michael Peterson, and... It's, it's probably 15 years since I've seen the documentary, so I don't remember if his portrayal of him is absolutely bang on, but from memory, he's mirrored all of the mannerisms and like the way he speaks very, very well. He looks nothing like him at all, but he can't have everything. And anyway, he's very good in it. 
one of the things that I really liked about this is, as I said, there was a documentary made about it and it was quite a well-received documentary at the time because it gives you a lot of insight into the criminal justice system and juries putting together a case and stuff like that. It's really, really, really good documentary. This series acknowledges that the documentary took place and it features in the story of what's happening. So amidst all this chaos that's going on with obviously a member of the family dying, Michael Peterson hires these people to make this documentary and that becomes part of this story. I'm only a few episodes in. There is some quite nice stuff that they do with, with camera trickery where we flip back and forth between what is in the series, the present day and seeing the family a few months ago, a few years back, but they like pan the camera around so that we're in one moment in time. And then we go back to six months earlier, but we're in the same location. It's all done very slickly. Um, it's good. Colin Firth is brilliant in this. I genuinely feel like I've not appreciated his talent because I always saw him as being this posh little thing. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's he's got real range and he's very, very good in this. I expected this to be a bit of a, I know the story, I'm not very interested, but we're seeing it from a different angle um, this time around. And because I've forgotten a lot of what happened in the documentary, there are skeletons in Michael Peterson's closet that I had forgotten about. And it is nice to relive that and see, oh God, yeah, I forgot that that happened. And that's quite juicy and interesting. Obviously somebody died. I shouldn't refer to this as juicy, but it's good. Give it a watch, The Staircase, which is currently airing on Now TV. I saw this advertised on a bus and I immediately knew what it would be, The Staircase. So would you say, even if you know the documentary, it's still worth watching? Again, I'm kind of... I'm saying yes, but on the basis that my memory is awful. So if you remember every single detail of the documentary, maybe not, but I do feel as though there is enough in here which is giving a different take on the story or coming at it from a different angle to warrant it being in existence so yes i'm gonna say yes okay yeah because i really liked the document i still remember it very well and i wondered is there any point watching this if i've seen the documentary i think it's interesting to see i don't remember archival footage of his wife featuring that much i might be wrong in the documentary so it's nice to see her brought to life so that you kind of see that side of things because that wasn't my me- from my memory, very present in that documentary. So, well, if you watched a documentary fifteen years ago, the, the the Netflix documentary, which I think is the same thing, that has episodes set much later on. I don't know. Didn't they bring it out in like three stages? There was like something in two thousand and four, a follow up in two thousand and six, and then maybe one quite a lot after that. I don't know if yeah. I ever watched the final. Okay. Few episodes. Yeah. yeah, it was 2018. I'm just looking at it and IMDb. My lasting impression of the documentary was that this is a story of how if you have enough money, you can get away with murder, literally. <laughs> oh, that's uh, cynical, but probably true. The Staircase on HBO, but is it now TV in the UK? That it is, yes. What else have you been watching in your doom and gloom selection? I apologise in advance. I've spoken about this show more than anything else on this podcast since it started. So you'll be glad to hear. I'm not going to mention it again. It's Ozark. James just mouthed that as I said it because he knew what was coming. 
Yeah, so it's the final part, or sorry, part two of season four of Ozark, and it's bloody brilliant so far. I haven't finished it. I have not climaxed on anything that I've watched this week. Sorry. So this picks up from the cliffhanger that we were given at the end of part one of season four. And the first episode, and I'm, I'm obviously speaking around the houses about it because I can't spoil it, but I've got to give something tangible for people to actually go, oh, I will watch it. Ruth, who is a local hillbilly, that's a bit harsh, actually. It's not very fair. She works for the Bird family throughout the last few seasons. Things have come to a head. Ruth is hell-bent on revenge because of something that happened in part one of season four. And this is where the first episode picks up. What I loved about this is I thought, oh, they're going to drag this out, this story of vengeance. Oh, God, this is going to be the second part of the series. It's done in episode one. It's all done. And I thought, oh, my God, I did not see that coming. Obviously, there is a lot more going on in the story than that. Loads and loads of subplots and, and threads to be tied up. It is living up to expectations so far. I've got about three episodes left. One thing that I did want to call out, I only found out after the episode had finished, there's an episode that's directed by Laura Linney, who plays Wendy Bird. I think it's the third episode into part two. That has been the standout for me so far. There's a scene where Marty Bird, played by Jason Bateman, he has a full-on meltdown. All through the episode, he is just on the verge of this breakdown and you can see it he's getting so agitated and most of it's because his wife is just unbearable he just breaks and has this full-on road rage incident and just lets out on this guy by beating the hell out of him and you can tell that he's channeling all his anger towards his wife through this guy there's just a lot of subtext going on it was amazing um i have heard that the final episode has been a massive letdown for a lot of people so I expect to come back next week for the, for the final time and tell you that it's not worth investing 40 hours into. But so far, constantly tense, always compelling. Ozark season four, part two. We just, we just received a warning sign that we have 10 minutes left on this recording because Zoom's introduced uh, some restrictions. I'm shocked about this 40 minute thing. I know. Fuckers. Well, I thought it was a bit too good to be true, to be honest. How are they going to make money? Uh, what, what are you talking about? Ozark. 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 So that's it. That's the end of the whole series, right? That The whole thing's available. It is, yeah. It ends, right. I might have to... I can now... I'll binge watch it now, then. That'll be my next binge watch with my significant other. We did all of The Sinner, all three seasons, really quickly, and now we'll do all of Ozark. I don't believe that. I'm fully convinced by what you said. You don't believe what? Uh, Well, I suppose we're at a different point in time now. It has reached its conclusion, but I just, I just always thought you were lip servicing me and saying, "Oh yeah, I'll watch it." So I just don't know what's changed. But it's finished. That's what's changed. So okay, I'll accept your word. Um, Speak about it next week. You'll have binged all four seasons next week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how? Yeah, got about two weeks. So one season every three and a half days. Yep. That's quite a lot. (laughs) anything else on the watch list I'll save it till next time in case I don't manage to watch anything else nope is it chivalry I've never even heard of that what's that oh I've not heard of it neither of us have talked about chivalry which is the new critically acclaimed Stephen Coogan comedy on channel 4 
that no. I've only heard of because it was being advertised on on I was getting YouTube ads. No, actually, third mention of my living partner. She got a YouTube ad for it. First, I'd heard of it. It's co-written by Stephen Coogan and someone else. Don't know her name. Sorry. They met on the set of Greed, the, the film that we watched a while ago, and they've written this. It's like a Me Too comedy that has apparently a lot of nuance to it. Um, it's not just propaganda, like a BBC version of the same thing would be. It's supposed to be a five-star, brilliant series that it's, it's, it's Stephen Coogan doing Alan Partridge as a film producer, who's a bit out of touch with everything that's going on. This sounds awesome. Has got 5.8 have... out of 10 on IMDb. All right, okay. <laughs> Maybe people have just dismissed it as um, social justice propaganda, but apparently it's not that. It's act, supposed to be act really, really good, and I really want to see it. And features Sienna Miller, who's always worth watching. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, thank, thank you for the heads up on that one. Yeah. Chivalry. We don't know what it's like. We don't know. I actually watched it. Uh, <laughs> we can't tell you what that's like, but we can tell you what the news is like. Yep. Oh. It's the real thing. It is now. Real, real news. News. One of the most watched pieces of content going around at the moment is the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, I think. Every YouTube video of it has multiple millions of views. And if you go on the on the live stream on the Law and Crime Network, there's hundreds of thousands of people watching it. It's got it's got way more um, popularity as a television broadcast than say the Batwoman. That was finally cancelled <laughs> the other week. Don't want to get into de- into into it at all. All I'll say is because I watched one video of it, it's completely wrecked my YouTube recommendations. That it's now <laughs> full of Johnny Depp videos. It's just it's like Johnny Depp meets Jim Carrey. Johnny Depp saves a girl from a crush at a premiere. It's it's just con- it's just all Johnny Depp now. All I did was watch one trial video and it's also being flooded with like very uncharitable like Amber Heard uh, testimony edits as well. It's it's just ruined now. I have to like binge watch other things to to sort of cleanse out the Johnny Depp video recommendations. Can't you just delete it from your history? Would it not have any impact? Uh, I don't know. The thing is, I'm actually watching the videos. <laughs> You're not done yet. <laughs> it just makes it worse. No, I've been watching with fascination as well, morbid fascination. I, I'm, I'm not expecting it from you, but I'll just say, because whatever, I don't care. My uh, partner, she said, where, where do you come down on this? Whose side are you on? And I said, not saying it for the purpose of the podcast, said they're both as bad as each other. And she found that a really surprising opinion. She was like, no, everyone, everyone is team Johnny Depp. What is wrong with you? But I'm sorry, that's my hot take. They're both a bunch of narcissistic weirdos. Anyway, we'll move on, shall we? You're not not the only person saying that. Good. Right, I'm glad. I'm glad about that. Oh, in fact, before we move on, have you seen this again? Rumor mill, fake news. 
Have you heard about Jason Momoa, who obviously is Aquaman, um, stars alongside Amber Heard in Aquaman 2, of which there is a petition to remove her from the film, by the way, which I think, again, when nothing is set in stone and facts are not known, why would you even contemplate doing that? It's weird. He's followed Johnny Depp on Instagram, which is, yeah, everyone's up in arms about this now. And then I further read that apparently this might be a calculated ploy from his marketing team just saying just err on the side of indifference if you follow both of them then no one can claim that you're one side or the other so it's just literally has no reason to follow follow johnny depp he's just done it so that he can have that stance on the matter which is impartial which i just find really weird anyway that was again not probably worth mentioning but just thought i'd throw it out there speaking of narcissists Should we move on to the news in the Fast saga? Yes. So, Fast 10 or Fast X has got everyone excited since since it was announced. And apparently the production has fallen into a bit of trouble because the director, Justin Lin, who has pretty much helmed the majority of these films and resurrected it from an early death with uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, he was set to direct Fast 10. They had started filming, and a week in, he has left the production. So, slightly old news this, because this happened a few weeks ago, but in a statement from Universal, Lynn said, With the support of Universal, I have made the difficult decision to step back as director of Fast X while remaining on the project as a producer. Not a lot more was said around this it seemed as though they were leaning towards the less information the better so everyone can speculate that maybe he's left because of some personal situation with his family and maybe that's the reason why but we all know what the internet and the rest of the world were saying which is there's more to this story and a week after that statement came out it would appear that is correct and you'll never guess this um justin lynn has apparently clashed with Vin Diesel, which has been the reason for him leaving. And there's been, again, talks of Vin Diesel insisting on certain things being changed in the script when it was already locked down. And that's just basically led to Justin Lin saying, I've had enough of you, Diesel. I'm off. So apparently when all this was going on as well, they were losing millions and millions of pounds per day because they had no director and everyone's on set. But now Louis Leterrier, who helmed... Now You See Me, and the worst film I've ever seen, The Transporter, is uh, now into direct. So there you go. That's what's going on. I'm sure more news will come out within time, but what do you say about all this, James, if anything? Well, what a, what a wild ride this is going to be. Fast 10 your seatbelts. Did you just spend that off? Have you ripped it? No, I've, st- I've stolen it. I've stolen it off. It's the, it's the subheading of the Cinema Blend article about everything you know about Fast and Furious 10. Do you think what's happening is that Vin Diesel's ego was kept in check by the presence of Paul Walker, who was the real heart of the series, and then by Dwayne Johnson? But now it's just him. It's just him, and, no, and he's got no one to balance him out, no foil. He just thinks this is this is my thing now, and Justin Lin Justin Lin has gone. I can't deal with him anymore because he's he's sort of he's just grown out of control. I, th- I think that is exactly what's happened. And again, to be 
substantiated, but I heard, and I never knew this was the case, but when they reached a certain point in this series, Vin Diesel has a lot of creative control around this property. Obviously, I knew that there was some weight that he had, but I didn't realise it was to the extent that it seems that it is. He has final say on a lot of things, which I can only imagine when you factor in all the stuff with Dwayne Johnson and, and other things that we've heard. He just sounds like a bit of a nightmare to work with. Um, yeah, he does, because he's he wasn't, well, he wasn't in the second or third ones, but he obviously wasn't a producer on the first one. But then he was a producer on all of the ones since number four. So he's he must have just been increasing his power as producer. As one of many producers for the whole for the past few years, ten, over ten years. And you know, part of me, if I'm being sympathetic, I kind of get it. This is all Vin Diesel has left. So I understand he'd be precious about it. Yeah, yeah. If you just if you just scroll down his Wikipedia page it really is he's trying to bring riddick riddick back he's tried to bring xxx back it just no he's got this and saying grouped in um guys of the galaxy yeah and again i won't claim it to be uh my opinion i heard it somewhere else but it is the case this family this family's falling apart you're yeah. driving everyone away Yes, that was already apparent in Fast 9 where it just seemed like Vin Diesel and some people that were obviously less important. Like Michelle Rodriguez is not enough to carry this franchise forward. But Jason Momoa and Brie Larson are, are in Fast 10. I didn't know that until... Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that, no. Jason Momoa link there. And it's going to be split into two parts, Harry Potter style. <laughs> Is that what we refer to uh, two parters as now? Harry Potter yes. style. But not it's not gonna be yeah, no one knows if it's gonna be called Fast and Furious eleven or if it's gonna be Fast and Furious ten, part one and two. It's like Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy ten two. And that's the case as well with the uh, the next Mission Impossible film, isn't it? Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. Will the other one be part two? No, in fact, I don't know what I'm talking about. But there you go, there's a little tidbit of information if you didn't know. That's the new title of the Mission Impossible film, Dead Reckoning. Good title? No. No? Why? I don't I just don't like it. Okay. What what about the next one being called Deader Reckoning? Yeah. 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 Those two letters make a world of difference. <laughs> Anything else in your news bag? Or should we get on to the main review? Very briefly, because it's not an interesting topic, but cinemas, it seems, are not dead. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness has made loads of money. One of the biggest opening days of all time. It's, it's back on. Cinemas are back on. We haven't made a mistake by making a cinema-based podcast. Good to know. And we will be reviewing it next, I believe, won't we? Doctor Strange yes. and the Multiverse of Madness. And I keep hearing very conflicting things about how I will feel watching this film. I mean, the news hasn't centred around me and my feelings on the film, but I just mean people are saying, you need to watch WandaVision. You need to be deep in the lore. And then other people saying, oh, it's a very self-contained story, actually. It doesn't rely upon every other, you know, bit of information from the Marvel Universe. So I really don't know what to make of that, but I'll let you know once we've seen it. Okay. Let's let each other know what we thought about this episode's main review. Hello? 
like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. What's the worry here, Nick? You've lost some of your talent as an actor? No. What did he say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done. I'm quitting acting. Tell the trades it was a tremendous honor to be a part of storytelling and myth-making. Ah, fuck, man, I'm driving through the hills. I'm sorry, one more time. We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's the easiest gig ever. You play yourself. What do we know about this guy anyway? Is he into something strange? Not like he's gonna want you to suck his dick or fuck his wife or watch you watch him fuck his wife. I wouldn't think so. Welcome to Mallorca, Mr. Cage. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Is Javi gonna want me to, uh... I am Javi. Nick Cage. Unfulfilled and facing financial ruin, actor Nick Cage accepts a $1 million offer to attend a wealthy fan's birthday party. Things take a wildly unexpected turn when a CIA operative recruits Cage for an unusual mission. Two more sentences. Taking on the role of a lifetime, he soon finds himself channeling his most iconic and beloved characters to save himself and his loved ones. Ruin the entire film. Yeah, how come these summaries are sometimes the one sentence, but sometimes it's the whole plot? Yeah. So there you go. If you've listened to that, you've no need to watch the film. But James, what did you think about the unbearable weight of massive talent? I know I saw this every time we watch a fairly original film, but happy to see something original. Oh, I no... say you've not read the book. I've not read the book. Didn't know what to expect. I had high expectations because of how well reviewed it was, but I, I didn't really remember watching the trailer. Fresh going in. It's meta. It's a meta comedy. But amazingly, there was also a good plot, and I grew to like Nick Cage, the character, and Javi, played by Pedro Pascal. I'll break out, I began to like them as characters in the story, and it mattered to me what happened to them, despite it being a meta comedy. The CIA spying mission is the main plot. I wasn't expecting that, but I liked it. I wasn't detached because of the meta elements. That being said, it's a genuinely and actually fully comedy. It's not just constant references and self-awareness. Like the wall scene is actually just a funny scene detached from the idea that Nicholas Cage is playing himself. But those references to Nicolas Cage playing himself, that's also all funny as well. Like the running joke with his golden guns from Face Off and the references to people talking about films that he's been in. And it's more at the start, but Nicolas Cage like openly talking to a younger version of himself about his career and how it's fallen down and it's all not fallen down, how... It's a comment on an exaggeration of the idea that Nicolas Cage's career has has gone down, the the gone in gone into the tip 
captain is uh, awful, which is not really true. I think there's a bit of a sag before the final acts. They need to put some plot pieces into place and the comedy's left out for a bit and there aren't any references. They just set things up. But then it gets into full action comedy, which I wasn't expecting. And it ends really well. It keeps the energy up all the way through. Have you seen Being John Malkovich? Uh, in a past life, yes. Yeah, because it's, it's, this isn't the first... I've not seen John Malkovich. Don't really know why I asked that, but the point is... <laughs> You've not, not seen Being John Malkovich? No. Sort it out now. Well, not now. Right. We need to record, but... Yeah. It's not the first time ever that an actor has played themselves. So it's not that original in that sense, but it's a very entertaining version of that, especially with someone who, with a, a, such a rich career to draw on as Nicolas Cage. The Trip, starring Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, they play versions of themselves and they like exaggerate their, they exaggerate the most negative things that are said about them and play less likable versions of themselves that end up still being sympathetic. It reminded me of that. In short, it's not pretentious. It's self-aware in a very funny way. In terms of the cast, I don't think there's a better actor to play the main character than Nicolas Cage. But what surprised me was that Pedro Pascal is also doing full comedy and he brings just as much to it, just as many laughs as Nicolas Cage. And he's a very likable, possible, horrible criminal and he has this sincere Nick Cage obsession that produces more laughs. So he, he was surprising in how much comedy he delivered. It's mainly those two. The rest of the characters are sort of on, on the side, but still, still good all round. Overall, satisfying and joyful comedy. I had a good time and so did everyone else in the cinema, it seemed. Daniel, what did you think of The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? Just gonna repeat everything that you just said. No, um, like you did say though, obviously a lot of buzz going into this, and, and therefore most of the times maybe it might fall victim to a bit of overhype, and I'm gonna feel a bit disappointed. Not gonna show my hand yet. The the premise is what drew me in. I had seen a trailer for this. I had the misfortune of seeing one when we were watching something else at the cinema. People know I will actively avoid these things but I had no choice I was in my seat I wasn't going to sit there looking like I was having some sort of panic attack putting my hand over my ears and eyes and going Aah! so I'd seen it but again for the second time this week my failing memory aided me and I didn't remember that much from the trailer so this felt like as you said I was going in fresh or fresh as I can Nicholas Cage playing himself like you said not exactly a washed up actor but living in the shadow of his former success and he's wanting this next big role isn't he at the beginning that he doesn't get um that he was hoping to you know go into his glory days again um but he just reluctantly agrees to attend this birthday party of a mega millionaire fan instead i i didn't really see where this was going to go from the plot and i don't feel like the trailer did say this is an out and out comedy just this has comedic moments so I too was very surprised to find it being as funny as it actually was. Um, I'd say it's probably the most consistently funny film since Barb and Star, which you loved. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is a straight up comedy and I think it works really well. And one of the things that you alluded to is 
it doesn't come across as being pretentious. It it's so at risk of being that type of film where you're like, oh, this is a bit up its own ass. This, what are they doing here? But they really struck the tone well. I felt where it just doesn't come off as that whatsoever. <clears throat> and I genuinely think that this is Nicolas Cage at his most likable, which is strange because he's still the zany, unhinged character that you see in most of his films. But life isn't perfect for him in this version of himself. He's a lot more vulnerable. And the more annoying parts of him are portrayed through this imaginary younger version of himself that he's regularly in conversation with. Which, by the way, I don't know about you, I couldn't work out whether he's aged really well and it was just a bit of makeup or whether it was CGI. Because even present day Nicolas Cage looks pretty damn good, to be fair, or a damn sight better than he did looking pig. Um, Because <laughs> he looked rough in that. But yeah, do you know what I mean? Did, did you feel yeah, not, it was yeah. something off? I Yeah, I, it was either the best, it was either some of the best de-aging ever or he just looks really, really good. Or it was very well done. Prosthetics. Yeah. yeah. But the, but those scenes are really fun as well. And I, I, this inspired me to, obviously I didn't go to cinema with my partner watching this because she actively hates Nicolas Cage and will not watch anything that he's in. But I thought if there's going to be one film that might convert her, I think it might be this one. So when it comes out on streaming services, I'm definitely going to give that a go. Um. It's very tongue-in-cheek, like you've said. Um, the references to his back catalogue are, are thick and fast. There's quite a lot of them, but not in an overwhelming sense. It's not, They don't rely exclusively on that. There is pure comedy in this. I mean, because of that, it didn't come across as like self-aggrandising. It feels a lot more of an honest piece than it has any right to do, in, in my opinion. It's not the Nick Cage show completely, though. There's plenty of other time for people to shine. As you pointed out, Pedro Pascal, he is very, very funny in this, and I really like their chemistry and this unlikely bromance that develops. Sharon Hogan, as well, as his ex-wife, she, she gets some nice one-liners, and I always like seeing her in things, so that was, that was a welcome surprise. It was just a really, really, really good time of a film. I don't think that's a sentence, actually, but the audience loved it. I loved it. If I had a bit of a criticism, it touches on a bit of what you were saying. You said there's a bit of a sag before the final act. I actually felt like that final act dev- devolved into the sort of film that I thought it was going to be, which is, as you say, more of an action film. And that's probably the bit that I enjoyed the least, but it still maintains that energy. There's still some quippy little one-liners in there that I found funny. It wasn't enough to send the experience. It did live up to the hype. And I'm going to put it out there. We're in May. This is in my top five so far. Well, that's, yeah, big. That's 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 fighting top. <laughs> Certainly is. And uh, one other thing, this film has inspired me to watch Paddington 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Paddington 2 joke was good. Good, good, good stuff. And if you only listen up to spoilers, if you haven't seen the film, I've just ruined that bit for you. So. Yeah, ruined it. Wrecked it. So should we get down to whether we'd recommend it? Yes. Daniel, would you recommend The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? Of course I would. James, what about you? Yes, of course. Let's go into spoilers. 
Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. That plot summary at the start gave quite a lot away. Nicholas Cage takes a million dollars to go to Javi's birthday party. The CIA say Javi's kidnaps the president's daughter of a country, whatever country they're in. Is it an unnamed country? Mallorca, Spain. Spain. Spain's president to influence the election. Infiltrate his compound rescue the daughter it's revealed that Javi yes he is part of this like crime family but his cousin's taking it over his cousin has kidnapped the president's daughter Nick Cage and Javi once everything's been revealed that Nick Cage has been spying for the CIA they free the president's daughter they fight off the cousin and his henchmen and then save the day oh they also rescue nicholas cage's own daughter who's also been brought to mallorca and uh it, it ends with a sudden demi moore cameo oh i wondered who that was i was pretty sure it was demi moore no it was i've seen her in the yeah. cast list but i'd forgotten <laughs> and while the when it's all concluded and nicholas cage has saved his own daughter saved the president's daughter Pedro Pascal's character have is possibly dead. It, it's cuts back, and Demi Moore is now Nick Cage's wife. Zoom out. They're at the film premiere of the script that Nick Cage and Javi wrote together, and Javi's alive, and Nick Cage's career is is revived. Feel good ending. Very feel good, and a bit of a poignant moment at the end when he's. Cuddling up to his daughter, watching Paddington 2, which did not make me cry at all. Didn't even get close, but I thought that's nice. Yeah. I haven't seen loads and loads of Nicolas Cage films. I did I'd suspect that there's, apart from directly naming Nick Cage films, there's probably loads of other references to scenes in Nicolas Cage films. So one that I noticed is in, in the end of Face Off, Someone's, I think it's John Travolta's daughter, stabs Nick Cage in the leg while he's holding her hostage. Oh, yeah. Forgot Nick that. Cage is holding to this, his daughter, this, no, someone else's daughter, and he gets stabbed in the leg. That, that happens in this film. Nicholas Cage is holding the criminal cousin by the neck, and the cousin stabs Nick Cage in the leg. And I thought, oh, they've referenced first off there very, very subtly. And I wondered. How many other moments like that are there in this film? I bet there's oh, probably a lot. Loads. Um, but I think that is a testament to how well the film works because even, I mean, it's hard to say because we're obviously somewhat familiar with his career. But I feel like you could go into this having never watched a Nick Cage film and still kind of get what they're going after and find it funny. Um, but I agree, if the more that you are a fan, I think you will be treated to plentiful references that went unnoticed by you and I, perhaps. Yes, there's a really long comicbook.com article on which things are referenced, like the like Javi insisting that Cage do the driving, do some driving, the driving somewhere, because he read that Nick Cage did his own stunts once, and that's a reference to Gone in 60 Seconds, apparently. So there's Awful. It's so rich. Yeah, like you say, you can still enjoy it without knowing the films because people just name his films and he has to react to it. Or when Javi opens the the secret room where the president's daughter might be, but it's actually just a room full of Nicolas Cage memorabilia and 
the the wax model of Nicolas Cage is just funny, so you don't need to. Yeah, you just get instantly it. get it, don't you? This is this is a palace of homage to to Nicolas Cage. That's that's all you need to know. You don't need to know what the green nuclear things from the rock are and stuff like that. It's it's, it's fine. You can still appreciate it. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to call out or commend this film for is is like you said, it's a very meta film. Scream tried doing the same thing. I feel like this works so much better because of this plot device they have with them collaborating on this script or the fact that Javi has this script that he wants to put forward to Nick Cage. It works. It makes sense in the film rather than just saying, oh, this is how horror films work. When they're talking about in a film, you've always got to have these character-driven moments or whatever it might be that they're referring to. They are creating a script together. So it completely makes sense and doesn't feel out of sorts or alien to what's going on or forced. I just think that it all works. And I was really, really this, this is what Scream should have done somehow. I don't know, but it failed to do so, if you ask me. Yeah, you're right. And it was it was all working so well that when it gets into the third act. They say they talk to each other about writing the third act as the third act of the actual film is about to happen. But that's a pretty in your face like reference to the fact that they're writing a script mm. within a film. But it was all working so well up to that point that that still was funny and still worked. And another thing, which I'll say hats off to you for, I don't typically like, and I think we've said it a few times on this podcast, you know when there's like a drug scene thrown in, two people, or however many, off the face, sometimes don't, I don't know why, rubs me up the wrong way, and I don't like it. Not that I'm like, ooh, anti-drugs. In this, it was hilarious. So there's a scene where Nick Cage is tripping on LSD, and they're driving through the countryside, uh, or around a cliff, I should say. Quite dangerous. Don't do that on drugs. But it was just hilarious. I found the whole thing hilarious. That leads up to the wall scene as well, which, again, it makes sense in the moment of the film. The reason why they've failed to understand that they can just walk around this wall is because they're absolutely off the faces. Um, so, yeah, for me, again, a scene like that, which normally I don't like, just worked so well in this. I'm just going to say that repeatedly. I'm going to stop now saying it works so well, but it did. <sighs> I don't have anything else to say. I don't think I, I do either. Um, which is not to say there's not a lot going on. It's such a rich film. And I, I like the drug scene. I've similar to you with the drug scene. Usually drug scenes, I'm not into it. Like in like in Bad Boys 2, they tried to do a drug scene. Don't know why I remember oh, that, yeah. but I just thought you're just having them take drugs and going, oh, it's funny. It's not really, but yeah, this was this was good. When he is that one where he jumped the scene where he jumps off the cliff. No, is that a different? One? Oh, right. okay. No, I don't know. It was earlier on. And he says I wasn't expecting it to be to be so high. But also <laughs> another scene, another straightforward comedy scene is when Nicholas Cage he's told to use some like knockout stuff. There's some liquid that he can wipe on his hand. If you touch someone with it, it knocks them out. But then he he wipes sweat off his forehead and he says, he says, I think I just touched my forehead. And he gradually starts to lose control of himself, which is just really straightforward comedy, but it's still really funny. Mm. Yeah. Barely a moment that doesn't land in this film. 
And this guy who wrote and directed it, I think he's only got one other film credit under his belt, which was, I think it's that awkward moment, which I don't think anybody made a song and dance about. So hopefully he has a illustrious career ahead of him because I think this is a fine film. Yes. And just one more quick thing to note. I've read on Wikipedia that the Nicky Cage, the imaginary younger version of Nicolas Cage, that's based on a Wogan talk show appearance from 1990, which you should definitely watch. Right. He summers he when he enters, he somersaults onto the stage, pulls money out of his pocket and throws money at the audience and then sits down. That's all the first 10 seconds. It's brilliant. No, agreed. Um, right, now I'm going to let everyone into a bit of behind the scenes in the aisles um, stuff. So we've made mention before that we're now limited to 40 minute intervals of Zoom meetings and we're now approaching one minute and 46 seconds left. So let's aim as a challenge, James, to wrap this up within that time period. And if you are I'm already failing because I'm talking unnecessarily, but if you're annoyed that the episode is shorter than you would like, don't blame us, blame Zoom. James, what are we reviewing next week? <laughs> Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, starring Elizabeth Olsen. Mixed reviews, it would seem, but we'll let you know our thoughts in the next few weeks when it is old news. We've already, Thank- I've already, I've sorry, we've got one minute and seven seconds left. I've already, de- I've already declared fatigue, I think, after Eternals. So we'll see, we'll see yeah. what the stakes are high. I don't know why, just morbidly, I want you to hate that film. Right, um, speaking really quickly, thank you very much for listening. If you want to leave us any feedback, you can do so at inthehourspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at inthehourspodcast and leave us a five-star review and rating as ever so that we can climb up the iTunes or whatever podcast platform charts. James, any words of wisdom for Nicholas Cage appreciators? Oh, I, I had a joke pre-prepared. I'll just pretend you asked me something else. If you do have unbearable weight of massive talent, join a boy band and share the talent among them, like Gary Barlow did. We take that. Nice. Well, we'll see you next week or the week after. Bye. Bye. <laughs>